so if I were to ask you to raise your hand, I bet all of you would raise your hand if I asked you, who here has ever been bowling? Okay, that's, raise your hand. So, okay, well, if you never have, it's okay. But most of us uh, have been bowling uh, at least once or twice in our lives. And, and I'll, I'll say uh, I really enjoy bowling. I love bowling. And so I don't do it often, nor does loving bowling equate to being good at it. I just like to do it because it's fun. Uh, it's, it, it, you know, it brings people uh, together, uh, just around a, a fun game of bowling. And I remember uh, just a couple months ago, I was invited to uh, one of our small groups, uh, maybe it was more than a couple months ago, but they had a bowling night. Uh, and so I participated, I joined them. And, and I remember being a little nervous for bowling because I'm like, oh man, what if you guys are really good? I get like weirdly competitive. So I'm like, all right, what if these guys are really good? I have to, I have to do, you know, somewhat good, you know. And so I go on YouTube, how do, how to bowl, and so I'm looking up how to bowl, uh, and, and I'm like practicing these movements, and I get there, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not too bad, you know, I'm not too bad, and and I throw in some humble brags, like, you know, I I usually go for the spin. You guys know what I'm talking about, like when you like spin it, and it goes one way, and then it curves and goes to the other. Uh, it, and yet I remember that day, as fun as I was having, I remember many of my uh, bowls were going into the gutter, uh, or maybe not even the gutter, or maybe the edges. I would, you know, put too much spin, or not enough spin, or just not doing something right, and it would either go right into the gutter, or it would, you know, hit the edges and maybe hit a couple pins here and there. Uh, and as I was doing that, I'll never forget, there was like this family next to us, with kids, presumably, you know, their mom and dad or, or family members, and they were just having a really good time, and I remember this kid was coming up, and all of a sudden, these bumpers came up. If you guys don't know what bumpers are, there's these railings, uh, usually for, for kids, that when the ball goes towards the gutter, it'll just kind of, you know, nick it and just kind of course correct and go towards, you know, the pins. Uh, and here I am doing the best that I can. The, the bowling ball is going into the gutter or it's just hitting the edges. And here are these little kids getting strikes and spares. And, and they're just like celebrating. They're, you know, they're knocking on all the paints. They're going, you know, they're turning around saying, like, yeah, mom, dad, I did it. And, you know, the, the, I can just kind of assume what the parents were thinking. Oh, that was cute. But, you know, good job. You did great. And I'm sitting here like, I didn't say it out loud, but I was like, dude, you had bumpers, okay? Like, you had bumpers. That's why you got a strike. That's why you got, uh, you know, spare. And yes, that is my sinful, competitive nature. Uh, but, but I look at that story, and, and, I, and I wonder, and I can't help wondering, what if in, in some form or fashion in our lives, God works exactly that way, like those bumpers, like oftentimes, like we get to celebrate all the good things that happen in our lives, all of our skills, all of our abilities, all of our achievements, and, and, and we turn around and we say, yes, we did it. I did it. I earned it. I went to this and I went to that and I worked so hard. And, and, and all that may be true. I'm not diminishing your work, but what if, and maybe you don't know this, but behind the scenes, like these bumpers, God was just weaving things together for things to come into fruition. That God in the background, while you are celebrating and doing all these things, God's looking down and God is saying, that's cute. 
you, you think you did it. Like, you think you did everything. You think in your own abilities that everything came through, and, and so you're celebrating. I think, you know, if I, if I know God as much as I think I do, and we all do, I, I, my guess is God is not angry, and God is looking down just like a parent, like, that's so cute. Good job. You, you did great. Knowing that there were some things that were woven into place to care and to love and to uh, move us forward. Now, now there's another other side of that, is that maybe it's not joy, maybe it's not celebration, maybe it's not all these promotions or whatever it is. Maybe in our lives, we are going through a metaphorical hell. And, and I say that, not pejoratively, but I say that because that is the word uh, that, that conjures up when we think about seasons like this. And on the other side of the coin, we say, God, where are you? God, I don't hear you. God, I, I don't see you. God, are you actually working, especially for those of us that claim to be believers of Christ? Many of us, we grew up in the youth group. We know how to sing the right songs. We know what to do. We know what to say. We know how to behave. But at the end of the day, we go to bed asking God, where are you? And again, I wonder, even in those moments where our lives are headed towards this peripheral, this, this, this metaphorical gutter, that God is still in the background, that God is moving and weaving and healing and transforming our souls right under our nose, and sometimes... We don't know it. Sometimes when life gets hard, when life takes surprising and, and unwanted turns, and, and many of you, you know exactly what I'm talking about, when life simply isn't turning out the way it was planned or imagined, what if God is working in the midst of us, behind the scenes where you may not know or acknowledge, and I would say for the most part uh, are in our finite wisdom that our capacity to understand or our capacity to see is oftentimes it's just not there anyways. It's not there. But this season, my hope is that we're reminded that God oftentimes works in these moments in the background to move us along to guide us, to help us, to encourage us, to bring healing in our lives, transformation and hope. See, in this Christian vocabulary, there's this fancy word we call God's sovereignty. And many of you may have heard the word sovereignty, and all that means is God's power, authority and control over everything, over our lives, over our situation, over even the most darkest and hopeless moments in our lives, that no matter what, God is sovereign. And out of God's sovereignty, power, authority, control, that God is still in the midst of working in our lives, whether you know it or not, in God's power, in God's authority, in God's love, God becomes with us. That's what Advent is all about. Emmanuel, weaving things together, going before us. There's a song that I love singing. It's called, uh, I believe it's called Defender. And there's a line that goes something like this. It says, you go before I know. I love that part. You go before I know. You go into every situation, every season of life, before I even enter it, preparing the way. You go before I know. 
that you've even gone to win my war. Your love becomes my greatest defense. It leads me from the dry wilderness. I love that song. I love what that's about. I love what it's saying. It's saying exactly what it's saying. Uh, What we're talking about today is that God is working behind the scenes, oftentimes right right under our nose without us even knowing because oftentimes our capacity to understand is just not there. And I would say if anybody had a season of it's not supposed to be that way kind of season, it was Jesus, his own family, Mary and Joseph. And as we read into uh, our scripture this morning and kind of know the backstory of that, uh, Mary, uh, as, as many of us know, having become pregnant, though as a virgin, and if that's not confusing, it should be, and, and Joseph engaged in going to marry this woman, uh, you can understand his own confusion, right? I'm mean, kind of setting up the scenario here. This is real life. This is real people. Uh, and you can imagine the person that he's about to marry, uh, her name is Mary, I didn't do that on purpose, but that one's for free. Uh, Mary goes up to Joseph, the person that she's engaged to, and says, hey, uh, my fiance, uh, I am pregnant. Okay, so that's pretty confusing to Joseph. Uh, and, and you can imagine Mary saying, but Joseph, it's, it, it's not what it looks like. Uh, I have an answer for this. Obviously, uh, and the reason is this, I'm pregnant because it was a, do- a divine impregnation. I mean, can, can you, I mean, this isn't just like fairy tales and, and things that we just made up. Like, these are dealing with actual people. Can you imagine just life going out of whack and life just uh, going unimagined happening where your fiance goes up to you and says, hey, I'm pregnant. Uh, obviously, it's not by you because you would know, uh, but it's uh, through God. Cool. Can, can we go on now? Like, can life go on? I mean, obviously, right off the bat, life for Mary and Joseph started off together very chaotic, very hectic, very unexpected uh, in the way that God was working in their lives. And and I would say, and and chapter 2 takes us here, is that this was only the beginning. Let's back up a little bit and let's uh, go to chapter, let's go to chapter 2. Uh, And I'm just going to read verse 1 through 4. And it says, In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men, or magi in some translations, from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is a child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened. And all Jerusalem, so these are religious leaders, Uh, with him were also frightened. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, uh, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. Now this is where it picks up after the news uh, of Mary being being pregnant. In verse 1, right off the back, it says uh, that Jesus tells us that Jesus was born in a town called Bethlehem in Judea. Now, for setting up the scene here, uh, you have to imagine that uh, Judea is like modern day today, like counties. And Bethlehem would be a city. So the county would be like 
King County, and, and the city would be like Seattle or Berrien or Shoreline or whatever it is. And, and so uh, Bethlehem is in Judea. And when Jesus was born, uh, there was already news about Jesus, that he was foreseen by the prophets to be the king of the Jews. Now, the problem with Herod was that there was already a title called, literally, King of the Jews, and it was Herod. Now, Herod was appointed by uh, the Roman officials because back then, the first century in the Near East, it was predominantly all uh, occupied by, by the Roman Empire. Uh, and each county had different leaders, governors, if you will. And they appointed Herod uh, to be uh, leader of the Jews in that region, in Judea. And Herod, I would say, for lack of a better word, or this might be an understatement, was a very paranoid man. And that he would do anything and everything to protect his power that he received. And so anytime there's a threat to his power, and out of his paranoia, he would do the extreme to extinguish those powers. He would kill his own family, his own brothers, his own wife, his own mother, because somehow, some way, he imagined that they would threaten his leadership and his power of Judea. And so this was the kind of person Herod was. And suddenly Herod hears this word that there is a king of the Jews that's going to be born. Of course, then he's going to be frightened. And really, everyone's frightened. Herod's frightened because he's afraid that his leadership is going to be taken away. The religious leaders are confused and upset. And they're frightened because they're waiting for the Messiah. But the Messiah can't obviously come to a baby because to them, under the Roman occupation, the Messiah, the Savior has to come on a, on a horse because this person is a, is a hero, is a, is a warrior. And, and though the Jews in the Roman Empire obviously didn't get along, they had one thing in common. They were both afraid, upset, angry at the news of Jesus. And so it says they were frightened because they knew that Jesus and his birth would disturb everything. And so Herod devised a plan, it says, all throughout, you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that, that when the wise men came to visit uh, Jesus, Herod knew that. So Herod was kind of in the business of everybody. He was uh, a modern, I mean, not even modern, but back then, he was a politician. Knew all the right people, said all the right things, did whatever he could to, to keep his power. And he knew that these magi, these wise men from the east, we don't actually know if there was three, so I hate to burst her bubble. There may have been more, there may have been less. We don't know. Uh, we get the word, you know, three wise men uh, because there have to be three gifts. But, you know, maybe one person brought three gifts. Maybe a couple of people forgot their gifts. I don't know. I don't want to read in between the lines. All I know is that there were wise men uh, coming magi, uh, coming from the east, bringing gifts, three gifts, that's, that was clear, to Jesus. And so Herod knew this. And so Herod's plan was to go to the wise men uh, and say, hey, when you find Jesus to pay homage, and when you give Jesus the gifts, hey, do me a favor, uh, and not even a favor, it's more of a, an order because Herod was the king, bring baby Jesus to me, 
So, of course, though, I can pay homage to Jesus as well. Now, knowing a little bit of history of Herod, you can kind of understand and see where this is going. Uh, I'm sure these wise men were, were pretty wise. All these puns, I'm not, these were not intentional. It's not in my notes, I promise. These wise men were pretty wise, and they knew that most likely that, G, that Herod didn't want them to bring Jesus so that Herod could pay homage. Like that, that wouldn't make sense. That wouldn't make sense to the narrative of who Herod was. And so when, when uh, the wise men went to Jesus, paid homage, gave gifts, they knew that Herod wanted to kill Jesus, the threat to his power. And so after uh, the wise men dropped off these gifts to pay homage, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, uh, they out a different way. They didn't go back to Herod. They kind of tricked Herod. You know, you can kind of imagine them saying, oh, yeah, yeah, okay, we're going to pay homage to Jesus, give Jesus the gifts, and then we'll, we'll be right back. So, yeah, hang tight, don't worry, uh, be right back. Goes, gifts, and then goes the other way because they knew exactly what would happen. So the kind of person that Herod was, of course, he was angry about this. And he devises this, this evil, evil plan saying that, okay, well, in this region, uh, any baby boy, child boy, age of two, will be killed. And in there would be, in his hopes, would be Jesus. Warned Jesus, or uh, Mary and, and Joseph, and they fled and found refuge from Bethlehem into Egypt. They found safety there. Most likely it was a town, uh, capital of that time, Alexandria, the capital city at that time, where there was a large population, hundreds of thousands of Jews already living there in refuge with religious freedom, where they knew their life wasn't in danger from Roman occupation or any other occupation. They found refuge and safety there. If you can see, I have a little map. You can see a little bit of their journey. You can see that they started in Bethlehem. They went to Egypt. And then when Herod died, uh, an angel again went up to the family and said, Hey, you know what? It's safe now. You can, you can go back. Herod's dead. And so on their way back to the Bethlehem region, uh, they heard that Archelaus took over which would also do the same thing, which also their lives would be in danger. And so er, there was like a little uh, course correction again saying, okay, as a matter of fact, okay, let's not go to back to Bethlehem, but we're going to this little town called Nazareth. Nazareth. You can see that their journey was pretty wild. You can see that their life didn't turn out the way it was supposed to. Joseph being a carpenter, Mary taking care of the home, like just everything fit, everything was working just fine. And their life was just uh, abruptly interrupted by the birth of Jesus, their, uh, Mary's son, Joseph being, I guess you would call stepfather at this time. And their whole lives moving out of danger because their lives would have been taken. They would have been killed if they would have stuck around. So they left hundreds of miles south, walked to Egypt. 
And I don't know, it doesn't say what life was like. There's other, you know, documents, you know, part of the Dead Sea Scrolls that's not part of the Bible that kind of give hints to what life was like. But the Bible doesn't really talk about what life was like. But you can imagine that it wasn't easy. And if they had reasons to be upset or frustrated or bitter or be resentful of God, it was this family, most definitely. See, oftentimes our lives, just like Mary and Joseph, probably even a lot less, take different twists and turns. I mean, look at their life. Talk about a life unimagined. Maybe some of you guys, you're living a life unimagined. If you've ever said to yourself these words, again, the words that they probably would have said, it wasn't supposed to turn out this way, then you understand exactly what the family of our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ, was going through. You know, you know, you can empathize with what is happening in the story because you and I, we've all said in one way, shape or another, life isn't supposed to be this way. And just a matter of a few weeks in this Christmas season, I get calls of a friend who lost his brother. There was more than one diagnosis of, of cancer or terminal illness. A former youth group kid who was 15 at the time, so I'm kind of aging myself, 15 at the time, calls me just last week who has two little babies and says, my wife and I are splitting up. I think about my own dad where three years ago on Christmas morning we get a phone call. It was a call and and we recognize it was a call. It was our uh, uncles and aunts from Korea and of course it was Christmas morning so we say, oh, they're calling to say Merry Christmas. We pick up and it was Merry Christmas and it's to tell us with tears that my grandfather, that my dad's dad had passed away unexpectedly, on Christmas morning. Several years ago, when I was working at a hospital in L.A. as a chaplain, during the Christmas season, I get a phone call in my office. And I go down to the NICU. And here I am. They asked me, this Catholic family asked me to baptize their stillborn baby. It was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Two weeks ago, I find out my roommate from seminary, his wife, I remember when they were just dating, when they just met, has to go through a round of chemo. I mean, you talk about life not supposed to turn out this way. These are people in the midst of us. This is you. This is me. This was the family in the first century. Joseph, Mary... Jesus. Maybe for you it is your finances. Maybe it is your marriage. Maybe it is your friendships, your your career, or just even consequences of poor choices. Maybe it's just this season, this Christmas season, where it's supposed to be all about joy to the world, but rather ends up being a reminder of our own brokenness, our own hurt, and our loss, and our confusion, and our... It wasn't supposed to be this way. Maybe it's just sheer busyness of this season that causes so much anxiety. 
Maybe it's just life just unfolding in ways you never imagined. You know, if this is you, I know that oftentimes this is me. Uh, This is kind of a shameless plug into our event this Wednesday. It's called Solace. And we hope it's a space where you can truly find solace. It's on the 18th on Wednesday at 7 p.m. at C&P Coffee Shop. And it's just an hour from 7 to 8 p.m. Where we're just going to recognize a season of lament, of anxiety, of pain. Maybe it's for yourself. Maybe it's someone you want to bring. Maybe it's you just want to occupy. Maybe you are filled with joy and happiness and gladness. And you just want to occupy the same space as our friends, friends you don't even know, to just sit with them as they become we in experiencing this season of darkness. There'll be songs, there'll be prayers, there'll be guided meditations, there'll be candle, uh, there'll be kind of a candle ceremony. I just really invite you to be there. I ask you to bring, you know, you can come, you can sit, uh, you can bring a blanket, you can bring a yoga mat, you can bring whatever, whatever to make this space yours and to help others feel at home as well during this season. But I just want to invite you to that. Again, that's uh, on the 18th at CMP Coffee Shop off California. Because it is no surprise and it's not a shock that many of us like Mary and Joseph and Jesus are going through this season of all these twists and turns but I love in Matthew chapter 2, verse 19 to 23, which I'll read, uh, gives us a sense of a hope, a sense of uh, even in the midst of that, there's something else going on. And it says this, it says, when Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who are seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus, as we talked about, was ruling over Judea in place of the father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home. It's there he made his home, in a town called Nazareth. So that what he had been spoken through, the prophets might be fulfilled, he will be called a Nazarene. See, if we read this and just see it as just like this historical step of just what happened, we're going to miss the whole point that God is working in the background, directing, protecting, and guiding this family. There's three particular ways I want you to see that. uh, First, example of what's happening is that when the wise men brought golds and spices, the frankincense and myrrh, to uh, the family, this is like at the beginning of the story, of the Advent story. And these are gifts fit for a king, a prophet, a priest. And we kind of leave it at that, right? Like, okay, great gifts. They did Jesus a huge favor by not turning him into Herod and, and left and went the other way. But what you have to understand about these gifts, not just the gold, but the mirror and, and the frankincense, they had a ton of worth in the first century. A ton of worth. It, it was their, or their way of money, uh, of capital for them. And, and so you have to imagine that if the angel goes, goes up to the family and says, okay, you have to leave. We don't know how long, but you have to go. You have to go to Egypt, hundred miles, hundreds of miles away. You have to find lodging. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't, 
It didn't say that, oh, everything came to pieces, it was easy, there was free lodging, all these things, like free food. Like, no, they had to pay for everything. They had to pay for their, uh, their stays, they had to pay for their food, they had to pay for, for, for the whole transportation. Imagine if you went on vacation and you looked up Airbnbs or, or, or hotels or whatever it is. Obviously, it's not free if you want to get away. Obviously not. Uh, the same was true for this family. And so many theologians, many historians, many agree, this is kind of a consensus, that agree that part of the plan of the gifts, the way that God orchestrated all these things, is because God knew that, that when the family had to migrate to find refuge in a different space, that they would need the resources. And so when we read just chapter 2 or chapter 1, the beginning, and, and see these gifts being exchanged, we kind of leave it at that. But now when we get to the end of this Advent story, we go back to the beginning and we say, ah, oh, I see what just happened. These gifts weren't just these gifts for homage, though it was. It was also a necessary means for this family to go from Bethlehem to Egypt to Nazareth. And it wasn't just quick overnighters. They, it said, we don't know how long, but it says they had to wait for Herod to die. We also see angels continuing to warn Joseph and Mary. Go here. Don't go there. This place is safe. Oh, Herod's dead. Now you're safe. Okay, now we're going back. Oh, wait, wait, wait a minute. Herod's dead, but we need to do a little course correction because Archelaus is still there, so we need to actually take you to a different town. A town where they now call home. I love these stories where just the angel is just talking and just directing and just moving. It's like, and it's not like this, this plan. Because oftentimes not the, that's not the way God speaks. It's not like this manual that says, okay, I wrote down an itinerary for you, Mary, Joseph. Uh, take Jesus, and here's the thing. Here are the things that you need to do, and everything will turn out just great. Just follow this plan. That's not the way God works. I wish it was. In these moments of God working in the background and in the midst of us not knowing what the next step is, in the midst of darkness, in the midst of life isn't supposed to be this way, I wish someone would just write me an email or send me a text saying, okay, here's how it's going to unfold. You have to do step one, two, three, four, and five, and boom, and you'll live happily ever after. That's not the way life works. That's not the way God works. Our job is to do what Joseph and Mary did, was just to be obedient, to be still, and to listen, and to move as God moves. And to stay as God stayed. That's it. But be confident that God is speaking. That God is working. That God is moving. God is orchestrating. God is giving you resources that you may not even know what it's for until later. Just like the gifts of the wise men. And lastly, life that was so unexpected becomes a million times better. See, they were about to go to Judea. The story was over. I'm going to Judea. We're going back home where everything was left off. Right? They were doing just fine in Judea, in Bethlehem. They were living. Joseph was working. You know, there was food on the table. You know, things were great. They lived just a good medium life. They weren't wealthy. They weren't poor. They just lived a good medium life. Exactly what they were supposed to do. 
But then life took all these twists and turns, went to Egypt, you know, avoided death and this and that, and they were just about to go back to regular life. Okay, that was years of, of misery, that was years of traveling, that was years of no safety, uh, and meeting new people, whatever it is. Now we're going to go back to Judea, we're going back to Bethlehem, and let's just pretend, I mean, if it was me, I'd just be like, let's just pretend all that never happened. Let's just put that behind us, let's go back to our old homes back to our old friends and just live life like we were supposed to and just finish it there. But no, even in the midst of that journey, even in the midst of going back to what they knew back home, God says, nope, never mind. I'm going to give you a different life, a better life, a place it says you can call home. Because had they gone back to the life that they wanted, the life that they knew, the life that they were used to, they would have been killed. Jesus would have been killed. History would have unfolded completely differently. But God directed them on a little detour to settle in a small town, a very unassuming town called Nazareth, where they were able to call home. This is how God works in our lives. We don't see it. Oftentimes we don't believe it. We don't know it. But my encouragement to you this Advent, when we understand that God is with us, that whatever you're going through, especially those dark moments, the hard seasons of life, God's working in the background. God is preparing the way. God has gone before you, in front of you. It says that God has already won the battle. The song that we've seen, that God has already won the war and all you have to do is receive and listen and like Joseph, be obedient and just be faithful. That's what God asks. Even in those seasons because God is at work in our lives. I share this story a lot because it's a big part of my story. Uh, I went to college at SPU, and then I went to seminary uh, in Los Angeles. And from the first day of seminary, I knew what I was going to do. I knew it. I was going to be a professor. I was going to be a theology professor at a different seminary, at the same seminary, at a college level or whatever it is. That was what I had planned to do from the very beginning. That's why I went to seminary, being... Uh, you know, and a pastor, being a pastor was actually just not really part of my plan. Yes, part of the church. Yes, part of, you know, studying the world of theology. Yes, that was part of my plan. But my plan was to teach. You know, so I worked really hard all th- the three years of seminary. You know, like school doesn't necessarily come easy for me. So I have to work a little extra harder than some people where it comes natural. And so, you know, I, you know I'm busting my butt to get good grades to, you know, write all these papers or, and, and, and study and all these things. And at the end of seminary, I applied to one school in, in, out of all places, Durham, North Carolina, and, and that's it. I had all my eggs in one basket. That was it. Like, there's no turning back. I'm not going to uh, apply to this school or that school. I'm going to this school in Durham. I'm going to be a Southerner for five years. Like, that's where I'm going to live. That's where I'm going to do life. And, and that's it. Done. Game over. I applied. And you know what happens, because I'm here. I didn't get in. And I just remember just kind of dropping to my knees and saying, how can this be? I, I had everything all planned out. 
I worked really hard to get here. I, presumably, I thought I had the grades and the score that I needed to get in. I mean, it's a hard you know, college to get into, I, but I, I thought I did it. So God, where are you? I, I thought that you know, in my prayers of what I'm supposed to be when I grow up, I thought I heard you say I was supposed to be a professor of theology of, or the scriptures of some sort. Why did I go through all of that at the end of the day, years later, after all that work, not to get in? If I knew I was called to be a pastor, I would do what other seminarians did, just get C's all across the board. There you go, it's... But to be a professor, then you have to go to get your PhD. Like, that's different. Then you have to work really hard. I would have just coasted had I known. And I look back, and I start to connect the dots. And I meet people. I experience my own transformation in pastoring. And I look back, and I say without a shadow of a doubt that there's nowhere else I'd rather be than to pastor, not just to pastor, but to pastor here, to be your pastor here at Bethany West Seattle. There's no place. There's nothing I'd rather do. And I look back and just thank God, even though I was confused and angry and bitter and resentful, I look back and I say, okay, God, (laughs) you knew what you were doing. God, you were working in the backdrop of my life. And it's not easy. I'm going to invite the worship team to to come back up and give us a time to just reflect. Are there moments, is there a season right now where you just have to believe? You have no other choice because there's so much brokenness and desperation that you just have to believe that God is working somehow, some way that you don't even know. And yes, it's Christmas. And, I, and a good friend said this to me the other day. He said, I'm sick of all these uh, happy-go-lucky Christmas songs. I want to hear a real worship song that reflects my life, a line that goes something like this. And he says, love is not a victory march. It's a cold and broken hallelujah. That's my life, he's saying. So maybe this morning... The only thing we can do, the only thing we could have our hope in is Christ, who in Hosea, who was quoted here in Matthew, out of Egypt I have called my son, out of the darkness, out of exile of Egypt, out of the hardship of uh, of Egypt, I have called my son Jesus to bring you out. my encouragement to you is just to be obedient to be faithful to what God might be doing and saying in your life to be faithful to the people around you to know and I'm not saying put on your happy face to be inauthentic what I'm saying is in the midst of even our own it's not supposed to be this way that God is working in your life my life. God is working. We have to believe that. Each week we light a candle. The first week is faith. The second week is peace.
peace. And the third week is love. Quite fitting. May you be just ravished by God's love this season. Or it feels cold. Or it looks dark. Or it seems hopeless. Maybe for you, maybe for others. But will you receive God's unconditional love? Many of you, you guys have been around the church a lot. Maybe this is a morning where you say, you know what? I commit my life. I recommit my life to you, God. And maybe your prayer in the next two, three minutes saying, God, in this season of confusion, God, I give you my life again. Trusting that in the background you're moving, you're working, and you're bringing things together that I will one day look back and say, Maybe there's those here, I don't know why you're here. You don't even know why you're here. A, I'm thankful that you took a risk on showing up this Sunday morning to a church where oftentimes church is not the most loving and compassionate place, but my hope is you find that here and that you find Christ. And maybe your prayer in the next couple of minutes is to say, God, I don't know what this is about, but I want to know. Jesus, I want to know you. I want to know this peace. I want to know this healing. I want to know this working that you're doing in the background of my life. I want to acknowledge that. I want to know that. I say, God, will you come into my life? God, will you come into my life and just flip everything upside down? Because whatever I'm doing right now obviously isn't working. So God, will you come in and change my life? Maybe that's your prayer this morning. And if that's particularly your prayer, will you let, let me know? Will you write it on a connect card? Will you come up to me after service? Well, anything, because I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. And I want to celebrate with you this new life that we find in Christ. So may all of us, whether you know Christ or not, may we all this morning find new life in Jesus, God who came to earth for us. Let me pray. God, thank you. You've given your life. to us and for us that we may experience a new life that even in our darkness and our brokenness that, that you're moving and you're working whether we know it or not so may we have faith that you're doing just that we thank you be with us